podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. My guest is Silvana Ravenna. She's an artist who connects psychology and art. A formal clinical psychologist, Silvana holds degrees in art history, art therapy, and a master's degree in visual arts. She has showcased her art in the United States, Brazil, and Europe. Silvana received prestigious international prizes in the United States and Germany, and her artworks have been featured in several international art publications and TV art shows. Silvana says that the human soul is her greatest source of inspiration. And of course, I asked her, what is the soul? The connections between psychology and art have been Silvana's passion and the constant subject of her paintings. The intention of her work is to motivate people to creatively question what they are seeing and to get in touch with their innermost being. She says that art is a type of embodiment in which experience creates matter that creates experience. It is a sensitive phenomenology that awakens perception by addressing the senses directly. Here is the interview with Silvana Ravenna. In your own words, who is Silvana Ravenna? Silvana Ravenna is this person who is interested in people's mind, first of all, in the human experience, and I think furthermore in translating this uh, fascination uh, with the human experience into visual, visual statements, into a visual image, which is my art. I think my painting is pretty much what translates what I'm really am. Wow, that's wonderful. So uh, my official first question to you is, what is art to you in general, apart from painting? You know, Valeria, this is a really broad and complex question, I'd say. 
I always like to answer this in a personal, let's say personal and specific way. What is art for me? Art for me is freedom, freedom to explore uh, the realms that otherwise you would maybe not be able to, right? Go to experience these realms and, and go back to your, to the, to the point you were before going and translate this in a poetic way, let's say. Yeah, I love the way you're saying it. It's, um, I heard something similar before about the uh, spiritual experiences, that we go into meditation or in spiritual experience, and then we are in touch with God, and then we come back with the perfume of God. We really hope that for that to last. <laughs> <laughs> so my next question is, why did you study psychology? Art has always been part of my life. I had my first art experience, let's say, at the age of four with when my parents gave me my first easel and watercolor set. So uh, at the age of choosing something for college, I would naturally choose art, of course. But I was so interested in how uh, the creative mind would work that I decided to study psychology. And this is, I think, in, let's say in some, what really moved me towards this path. Right, so art came before psychology. Yes. Wow, and then you went through the motions of becoming a psychologist. When did you decide to become a full-time artist? Well, uh, after college, I started working as a practicing clinical psychologist, and uh, but has have never gave up the my let's say art practice. So at a certain point, I I thought, well, I need to unite those two realms somehow because I feel that the way we traditional traditionally do the clinical practice lacks some additional language to help us to really understand the complexities of the human's minds. Then I, I thought, okay, so what could I do? And I decided to study um, something called art therapy, which is a discipline that connects art and psychology and uses art as a safe heaven in which the client is able to express his or her emotions and mind traumas, complexities, and so forth. So I, I actually um, worked with art therapy for a long time. And then when I came to the U.S., I was not able to do my practice because there was this, you know, lots of bureaucracy, licenses and so forth. So I thought, well, it's about time to focus on something more universal. So I decided to be a full-time artist and use my art as a tool to reach people's mind. That is so wonderful. I would love to understand better how you integrate psychology with art, with the art that you do. What is it in your art that reminds us of mental, uh, mental activities or 
actually what happens in when we have a piece of art in front of us uh, there is this process of uh, recognition of what you're seeing or listening to or whatever and reinterpretation right so what it's the piece or the artwork is actually motivation to start a conversation between what the artist is saying and you the beholder right so this implies that there is this dynamics in your mind that recreates what you are seeing with your own contents because as everybody perception about a work of art is different and unique, right? Even if we feel similar things, what these things are actually a little bit different from person to person. So yeah. I took advantage of these difference and these type of dynamics to build a, a voice or to create an image style in which I could infuse everything I have learned and studied about perception. Mm -hmm. In the details of the way I create my images, I stimulate or I seek to stimulate the, these processes of reinterpretation in the viewer's mind, challenging the viewer made with my striking colors, for instance, which I work my vibrant palette, my striking colors are selected on purpose to increase the vibrational impact of these elements in the viewer's mind. So what I want is more an emotional response to my pieces than a pure logic reaction. That makes sense? Yes, does very much. I read on your website, you said something like, um, my art promotes healing, emotional release, and put others in contact with their unconscious mind. That is like really interesting to me. Um, do you think your art also put us in contact with our subconscious mind? I think I, that's my hope, at least. I hope it does, because I do everything I can to, to make this happen, let's see. Let me give you an example. My work is full of heavy textures, and my process of creating a piece of art is usually follows this these steps, which are I work with layers of material in every piece I'm working with, either with oil or encaustic or resin. All my work, if you could see it in person, you would you see thick layers of material. This is something intriguing, let's say, for the viewer, but it has a purpose. It's a metaphor for mm the way the dynamics, the dialectic of concealment and revelation we experience during the therapeutic process. So it's the, it's the way I create my art is similar to the way the mind, according to the Freudian perspective, 
would work during the therapeutic process. Of course, this similarity in itself is not enough to make the viewer connect with uh, the unconscious or subconscious mind. But then I try to uh, infuse my work with more with principles of other schools of thought in psychology that, that would ultimately help me to try to create this delay in the viewer's mind, delay in the process of reading my pieces that would require much more of your um, visual repertoire and your experience with that type of configuration to really give meaning to what you're seeing. During this time, what probably, according to the, the scientists, what probably is happening is that your brain is retrieving all the data similar to what you're seeing, trying to form a meaningful and coherent image in your mind, because vision is actually an act of comprehending. With We see things not, not only with our brain, the mechanics of our brain, but also with our experience. And this experience is part of an array of psychological processes that go beyond our consciousness, our understanding. That's what I try to infuse my artworks with. That is, is that clear? It's a complex. Yeah. Um, yes. Now I understand what you you're saying. It's hard to for me to imagine what it feels like, what it would be like to be in contact with one of um, your art pieces. And just look at and um, kind of visualize and experience what you're saying. But I understand what you're saying because the mind is very complex. No, yes, you had, I think you had something to say. Yeah, I, I would say this as well. Um, it's in my image, my images are very open to be and intentionally abstract enough and open enough to give to the viewer hints of where to go but not imprison the, the viewer in a preformed concept. What, what do I mean by this? Instead of just painting, let's say, a peacock, I create a peacock in my canvas, which is mostly uh, hints of the whole configuration. So a little bit of the colors of the peacock, a little bit of the texture of the feathers position in a way that you will see the peacock in your mind. So the fact that I don't impose to you a clear and um, definite image makes you participate in my canvases with your subconscious or your visual repertoire. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So in a way, we are also co-creating. Absolutely. That's my, my goal. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that. Um, although I also, the thing about the mind, the mind always creates something, right? This is the nature of the mind, to create. And I think as long as we keep creating things, we're never going to get out of that cycle of, I don't know what's going to happen after the physical body. But if Buddhists um, or other philosophies of religion, they are right, 
we just keep coming back because we're just creating, uh, constantly creating. I like the idea that you now, uh, we are co-creating through your art, but it's something that's already understood by the mind. We are not going beyond, in a sense, of creating the, like you called, a prison, like a limitation. We are not limited. As well, we are limited uh, within what we already know, but at the same time, open to explore what we know. I kind of like that better than just creating more things, layers and layers on top of um, knowledge that we already have. I think we have we have too much knowledge. That might be the the main um, issues with the mind, mental health. It's because of our. Um, uh, obsession with thinking and creating. So I really like the idea that you're creating something that's healing. It's art, it's creation, but um, it's also healing. It's understanding what we already know. I agree with your, what you're saying in part. I agree that everything that is pre-conceived is a prison. However, I think that uh, there is a good use for knowledge in our culture and this is why we live longer than we have ever lived before. So the creativity we have used or um, through the centuries, there is a beneficial part because it's brought us to this stage that we are able to uh, enjoy today. But I also think that uh, in when I'm saying that I co-create or I want my, my viewer to be able to cope to finish the, the imaging in, the, in their minds and therefore be it's a collaborative work. Every time we do that, even if we work with our past experiences, the what ha- actually happens is that it's always new. It's never the same. It's never the same. And I think art is one of the best realms in, in that clarifies this. Every time that you use your visual repertoire with uh, an artwork artwork element, it's not that you recreate something. You recreate in the sense that you create something new. The artwork is always something unfolding, forever unfolding. And I think this is the beauty of art. It's a space in which you can do that all the time. Mm, Yeah, like life itself. It's always unfolding. We can never grasp, really, what life is about, right? What life is. Um, it's always this... Um, Every time that you see the same painting, you feel something different. You discover something different. Your relationship with the work of art is always new. That's, the, for me, one of the fascinating properties of art. Yeah. Um, You say that the human soul is my greatest source of inspiration. So my question is, what is the soul to you? And is the soul connected to the mind? Yeah, I use actually, uh, since I'm not a philosopher, (laughs) a scientist. Every artist, I think, is. I'm just (laughs) an artist. I use soul as a poetic license to say mind, actually. And then it comes, the, the psychologist in me comes uh, at first, at the forefront of my perception, 
because I'm really fascinated by the human experience. Uh, I, I think we have so much amazing processes. It's it's unbelievable that we we are born with no whatsoever instructions about what to do in the world, you know. And we do we create all this life to ourselves. For me, this is a, a type of magic in in itself, and, and it's heroic. You know, it's it's really unbelievable. And what the costs, the emotional costs of doing this, it's really, it, it should be praised, you know. It, we, we should have more respect. I don't know. I, I think it's really a miracle. That's what I, I, I that's why I, I say that the human soul is my great, great source of inspiration. Right. And the soul is the mind itself. It's the mind itself. But I also, you know, as, as since I'm, that's why uh, I decided to be or to focus on art and, and kind of leave science behind. <laughs> Because then I have this freedom of, of get a little bit of everything. Of So soul for me is a combination of spiritual or energetic, forces with yeah. interacting with your in, in this computer called brain or in this system called brain and body it's a very complex of course definition that the more i live the more complex it gets <laughs> it does right yeah it's interesting yeah and i think because also you are exploring some people they um They don't explore as much as you do. So I think that's the reason that you're fascinated by what you see. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people, they don't see themselves like that as this amazing miracle. And yeah, right. They don't see life that way. <laughs> Absolutely true. <laughs> Unfortunately, I agree. That causes a lot of unnecessary suffering in, yeah. So you also wrote, the intention of my work is to motivate people to creatively question what they are seeing and to get in touch with their innermost being. So I have two questions based on this passage. How do we creatively question what is being seen? Well, we do that. I think my personal view by not trusting everything we see. Mm, <laughs> right. We take we take for granted that things that what we see is the ultimate reality and it might not be so. <laughs> right. Right? Yes. It yes. might not be so. It there is a lot of cultural learning that makes us see things in a certain way. So when I say create, when I say creatively, I'm I'm trying to reach out to your unique way of seeing things, which you probably most of people don't know what it is, but it is available once you just question the conditions or the beliefs you have in your system, in your believing, you know, in your, in your mind, in your education, in your way of dealing with reality. Mm. How do we learn to do that, uh, Silvana? Can you give us some, some uh, ideas? 
Well, suggestion. there are many, many ways today, many ways. We can do that through a more, let's say, spiritual uh, practices like yoga, Buddhism, and these open mind uh, paths, right? Or we can do that, or in addition, we can do that through art. We can study what art is. What, something that is fascinating when you study visual arts is that you learn that, first of all, what we don't understand, we don't quite see. It's unbelievable. We just see a, a, a stain, a bunch of indecipherable things. When we don't have a cultural standpoint to, uh, to depart to understand what we are seeing. And this has been proven by studying the civilizations, the more, um, let's say, basics, what would be the, the word in English? Groups like... Uh, civilizations, like the early... You know, early tribes or tribes that remain today in, in places like Australia or Africa. They have types of configuration that sometimes we, we, don't, we don't see exactly because it's, it's, it's blurred. But since you acquired some elements and background to understand what that blurred thing could possibly mean, you, you start seeing this, this thing more clearly. It's unbelievable. So vision is also a process of education. Then, or thus, when I create those images that are kind of weird and it, 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 it demands a slow reading process, I'm trying to say to you, well, this is an opportunity for you to question what you're seeing, to say, what the hell is this? <laughs> right. Um, do you think that this is also because we're limited, as you mentioned, by culture, the way we have been brought up and educated? So you think that's why a lot of people that I talk to and around me, including myself, love to travel? I think it's one of the reasons why it's so fascinating to, to travel and experience completely different realities and get in touch with different, you know, mind frames, with different cultures, different places, lights, colors, flavors. This, this is one of the most delightful, I would say, ways to expand our minds. And I have, I have many, two series, two large series of works dedicated to this type of experience. One is called Travel Embodiments and the other is called the Insight Series, which is absolute right above what you're saying. This, I think traveling helps us to really accept and accept the difference, be more flexible toward, towards what it is different from what we are and prepares us to, to face the, the unfamiliar, let's say, right? Yeah, the unknown. Truth. The unknown, unfamiliar, alterity. Yeah, it makes sense. But the second question I had actually about the passage um, on your website, it was about the innermost being. What is the innermost being, as you call it? The innermost being is, is this eternal quest of what we are in essence. That's what I think. It, each, 
different religions or different wisdoms would look at this from a different standpoint. But all of us are, are seeking this essence or this point zero. <laughs> the, <laughs> core, the core, where's the core? Where's the, the core for this immense, complex experience we live during a certain time, which I call life? What's the core? Where's the core? What's the foundation? Is it external, internal? There is there any difference or not? But the quest is for me, what is this innermost being? Do you have an idea um, yourself of who we are in essence? Wow, it, it depends on the in different times of my life I have I have had different answers to this. <laughs> yeah, right. Because yeah, I think sure. we are we are always changing. And change and impermanence is part of our experience. So it's hard to to talk about essence when it's something when we, we experience something that is always changing. Maybe change is the answer, essence or the innermost being we are, we have, we are. That is interesting, your movement, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I think. And also, I think that this is related to imagination. It's a very complex thought. It's not yet a finished thought. It, at this point in my life, I think we are, I think reality starts inside of us. That's what I think. Are we creating everything? I don't know, but there is a large possibility. <laughs> so this conversation has been created. You created yourself. Everything's created. Um, it makes sense to me, you know, Sivana, very much. The, the mind is that powerful. <laughs> I think so, but it's, it's also not the reality starts inside of you, but you are in relationship with many different realities. Mm, yeah, in agreements, right? We have agreed, yeah. This reality. You also said something interesting. Um, the passage of time is intimately associated with a multitude of psychological dynamics. This is a question that I wanted to be the first question. What is time and how is time connected to memories? Well, time is defined in different ways depending on the school of thought you are talking about or the, the knowledge map you are using to define it. In my case, I'm not talking about the physics or the, you know, time-space thing. I'm really focusing on the experience of time. So I'm focusing on the psychological concept of time. This is what I think is what, first of all, interests me the most. Right. And it, this is where this, these different temporalities occur, let's say. It's, there is this chronological sense of time. There is this, so which is the sense that today to, it will be followed by tomorrow and, there, and then followed by other tomorrow and, and then we, we see time as a continuum. There is this uh, unconscious time which doesn't follow this chronological line whatsoever it's just what it's an emotional temporality what i feel is my absolute present so in this sense this unconscious time or subconscious as you will if you will 
is it's a present extended. It's always here and now. That is what might have happened there and then is now here and now and brought to the here and now through my emotions, to the energy of my emotions. And this, the, the, that's what really fascinates me. <laughs> right. So we are bringing the past and we're bringing the future into the present uh, through memories, isn't it? To the mind. Memories uh, is this amazing uh, possibility of presentifying, let's say, different temporalities because we, we but what we, we present this again, and this is what really I think it's uh, amazing about, about memory. We, we store, we recombine, and we make it work again in a new way. Just these three steps for me are something that defeats the, let's say, the traditional uh, idea of time and opens up a huge gate of possibilities. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that has been said over and over again by so many spiritual teachers or meditators about the present moment. This is all there is. There's nothing that ever happened or will happen. Everything's happening now. So that makes me think that, like you just said, interesting, I never heard it that way, that it's my memories, my whatever, my emotions that's bringing other parts of what I perceived as past or even future, because imagination is like a way of projecting, right? Like the future is dreaming. So everything seems to be illusions, but this moment. Do you also feel this way or this is just a religious, spiritual thought? I think these these statements are very interesting and maybe much more more complex than than I can um, grab the you know meanings that I are far beyond com more complex than I can understand. However, right. I always think well, my standpoint is always the psychological one. So for me, it doesn't matter if it is an illusion or not. Since mm -hmm. it is real for you. Oh, I see. What, what, yeah, what, why yeah. I'm saying this? When we are in a clinical setting and I'm talking to you about your deepest fears or traumas and you bring the, you recreate this, these traumas in that setting, which is a safe setting, of course, and then you and me I will help you actually to deal, to try to deal with it. I'm not questioning if it's, it's real or if it's an illusion or if it's whatever. I'm just believing you. And if it's true for you, it's true for me, right? Mm, yeah, right. It doesn't matter if it's an illusion or not since you are experiencing that. That's where the psychological, this is the core of a, of a therapeutic process. It's, if you are sensing this, it's true. Let's, let's face it. Let's talk about it. Let's analyze it in a way that you, you don't need to suffer anymore. Right. Now that makes sense to me what you said about um, if something happened to me in the past and it's still 
um, I'm still suffering or having the pain, emotional pain, because of that uh, event. That means you're saying that that pain, it's actually real, right? But the event's not real anymore. It's in the past. It's already gone. I'm just through memory and traumas because traumatic learning, from what I understand in psychology, is like the hardest kind of memory to deal with because it kind of uh, it reinforces itself all the time. Like anything that we look at it that reminds us of that event in the past, we're going to feel the same way. So I think that by having somebody to give attention to what it's real to me, but it's actually not real uh, in the sense of uh, it's not something that's happening to me now. Um, I think that also reinforces that illusion. Yeah, it's not only somebody, but it's somebody trained to deal with your emotional pain. That's a big difference. Because if you talk to a friend and this friend will lovingly talk to you and you will recreate this trauma and you will uh, suffer and reproduce everything and everything will remain the same. However, if you are in a therapeutic setting with a trained therapist, you will be able to, at a certain point of the process, to release this tension, or which is the energy of the suffering, in a way that this energy will finally get to be detached from the representation, which is the image that is repeating and bothering you. And you will get to a point in which you feel peace. And this event will not be present in your memory with that connotation anymore. This is a big difference. Right. Dealing with a professional instead of just talking to a friend or family. Therapeutic, exactly. Right. right. Yeah. Now that makes sense to me, of course. So um, my one of my last questions to you, I have two questions and then some of my uh, philosophical questions, like the fun ones, I guess. Uh, you say, as a psychologist, I am interested in the complex relationship between the viewer and the act of seeing. As an artist, I am deeply interested in the continuous feedback between matter and sensation that opens up perception. I have two questions, one of which is, is the one who sees a reflection of what is being seen? From my perspective, the one who sees is a complementation of what is seen. Not a complementation, but I think there is a relationship. The one who sees, in my perspective, is not what is seen. I think there is a combination of these two things that we, that ends up not being neither the one who sees, not the thing that is seen. When there is this encounter, this meeting between, let's say, an artwork and the viewer, this moment is, uh, is transformational for both of these two elements. So the artwork is not the same anymore because it now has the contribution of the eye who, uh, which is seeing this artwork mm-hmm. and vice versa. The person who is looking at this artwork is beholding this piece is mm-hmm. not the same anymore because now it ha- this person has an added experience, which is the beholding of this piece. So it's this moment is transformational for both of them, both the two elements. And this forms a third element, 
which is voilà. the beholding art, which is art in the standpoint of the beholder. This is actually the final step of an art process that has started when the artist in his studio or whatever yeah. he was started doing the piece. This is the culmination of the whole process, right? Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, now you're saying that we will be changed, affected, or transformed, but not just the one who sees, but also what is being seen. Wow, that's fantastic. Yes, exactly. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that resonates. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Um, and my other question is, is nature the kind of matter that opens up a deeper inner perception? Well, you know what? I, I think so. At least for my personal, in my personal experience, nature is my... It's the master. It's it's. I, I learn a lot from everything, in, including my art. That's why I say that art is a type of embodiment in which experience creates matter that creates experience. When when you you, at least for me, when I experience something and especially the energy of nature, this is so uh, it impacts me so much that usually inspires me to create art, to be a better person, to have a broader sense of being, you know, in the universe, right? It's, it's an expansion of, of my mind. It's an immediate expansion of my mind frame. Mm. And that is to say also that we are not apart from nature. We are nature. So everything is nature, right? The human beings included, obviously. Um, yeah, so you have the inspiration for your art, for example. It's, it might be based on the experiences or your perceptions of your mind, but that mind, that peace of mind in you, it's also nature. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, Silvana, do you want to make any additional comments before I ask you some unrelated uh, questions <laughs> to the subject of art? <laughs> I, I think I have said enough. <laughs> I, I appreciate, I really appreciate your uh, input. Um, this is just beautiful, has been meaningful so far. Um, my first unrelated question is, um, how do you define spirituality? Well, spirituality for me is something that uh, helps me to see beyond the my limits. Yeah. Um, do you do you see any difference between spirituality and religion? I do. I think religion historically has been so uh, infused by ideologies, especially of what is the truth, what is the good what is, you know, these big, big complex values that I feel spirituality is something more open to include what are our metaphysical concerns. That's what I think. Right. What is another word for healing? Another word for healing. For me, is there's no other word. Healing mm -hmm. is a process of transformation to a better state, a more harmonious one. So I think healing is a great word that cannot be, there's no, 
there there is no synonym for that. Okay, no replacement, right? <laughs> <laughs> what is love to you? Oh, love is, I think love, honestly, is the most powerful energy we have in, these, in this universe. That's what I truly, deeply believe. I think love transforms everything. Well, I think there is nothing compared to that. Transforms, repairs, goes beyond our understanding. How do you define success? Success for me is fulfillment. Fulfillment. That's yeah. what I think. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself, others, and life as of today? The hardest lesson? Well, there are so many. <laughs> Tell <laughs> me about it. <laughs> oh my gosh, there are so many. Every time you are challenged, uh, I feel we are challenged to go beyond, to understand things that are apparently without any, it's just absurd at the first sight. So it, it's, there are many challenges and, and we are, but something I'd like to mention is that lately through my art, I have learned the power of imperfection. It, it, this is something very, I'm so grateful to have learned this. I, I've been working with wearable, I, I, in addition to my art, my large paintings, my large sculptural artworks, I do wearable watch. And around three years ago, I started making jewelry uh, with the leftover fragments of my sculptural paintings. And when you are creating jewelry, you are doing something related to beauty, to people wearing it and feeling fabulous. And for instance, when you are creating earrings, culturally, you are supposed to do, you know, one, one element of the pair that must be similar to the other, and they must look perfect because people will freak out. (laughs) (laughs) I learned during this process, I understood that the most impacting and beautiful uh, properties of the the materials I was working with were the ones that were not perfect. And I should, instead of just, you know, trying to control it and, and make it, and I don't know, delete or erase or scrape or, or, or whatever, I should just highlight it. So this was one of the most challenging things to I have learned lately, the power of imperfection. Yeah. Wow. And that talking, speaking about nature, nature is just perfect uh, in my eyes. And it's at the same time imperfect. So, and we see so much beauty, right? Like in the trees, but it's a mess really. It's, no, it's not organized. And, yeah, but yeah. we judge ourselves yeah. so much. Like at that level, we are nature, but we want it to be perfect. And that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think perfection is a way of of showing our our need to for perfection or to be perfect is shows our fear from you know facing these many challenges we have in in our in our lives yeah yeah fear is present yeah it makes a lot of sense what is to be strong Sivana? i think to be strong first come thing that comes to mind is to be flexible enough to face the challenges you are 
not supposed to, but that you are confronted to and not be destroyed by that. Mm, yeah. To be able to uh, understand the lesson, every challenge that we have, there's something to learn and understanding that is important. My three last questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning the body, uh, losing the body, would you change anything or do anything differently from now on? Oh, thank goodness, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of acquainted with myself. <laughs> no, if something, but open to do some, something different if I come to the conclusion that I should. But at this point, oh, I'm okay doing what I'm doing. Yeah, that is so wonderful. Do you believe in life after death? I do. What, I do. Ki what kind of life? I don't know exactly what kind of life, but I believe that there is another level of existence for our configuration of energy. I think it doesn't stop here. No, I, I don't think it stops here, but this is my, my belief. And I don't feel the need to justify the, this, you know, based on this or that religion or whatever. It's just how I feel. My inner gut says this. <laughs> yeah, you don't have any, it's not a belief. You don't have an idea of what that will be like. You just uh, feel that something might be there uh, after. And I actually respect the, the, the ideas, you know, people have so about what's going to be the next step. But it's, for me, it's uh, an open open possibility. Yeah, uh, that's great. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure? I think life is about love. Life is about change. And life is about creativity. Yeah, it has been a fun and meaningful conversation. Thank you so much, Silvana. Thank you, Valeria. Thank you for having me. Super. Where can we find more information about you, your work, services, projects? Well, everything is on my websites. The first one is www.slrarts.com. The other is silvanaravena.com. And the third one is silvanalacritaravena.com. That's really great. Thank you so much again for your presence. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now, Silvana. Bye. Now. Bye. Bye. For listening to learn more about Silvana Ravenna, please visit her website silvanaravenna.com. That is S I L V A N A R A V E N A.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.